Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, it's Adams on Agriculture. Produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Here's your host, Mike Adams. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Adams on Agriculture. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're having a good day. We appreciate you letting us be part of it. Here's what we'll be talking about today. We'll talk markets with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. We're going to talk about outlooks for the biodiesel industry, perhaps a door opening with the push for climate policy changes and new climate programs. We'll talk with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board, Donnell Rehag, and also get his thoughts on um, USDA using some CFAP money for the biofuels industry, some assistance there. And we'll talk with a member of the United Soybean Board about a soy checkoff research funding and partnership with Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company for a very long commitment for that tire manufacturer to use soybean oil, phasing out petroleum derived oils from its products by the year 2040. We'll tell you about that a little bit later on in the program. So lots going on. But right now we're going to start it off with Paul Blyberg, Senior Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. Dairy also getting some of that CFAP assistance announced by USDA. Paul, thanks for joining us. Your thoughts on, on that announcement from USDA? Well, thanks, Mike, for having me, and good morning, everyone. I think the uh, I think the announcement was very positive. We're very excited uh, that USDA and Secretary Vilsack are going to be moving forward uh, with what they laid out on uh, on Wednesday, I believe it was. And there were several key parts in there that I draw attention to. I think right at the top was the dairy donation program. And to recap, this was a program that National Milk really championed last year on Capitol Hill, and we were successful in getting it included in the December COVID relief package, uh, thanks in large part to the efforts of uh, Senate Ag Committee Chairwoman Debbie Stabenow and former House Ag Committee Chairman Colin Peterson. And we were really glad to have that in there. It's going to do great work as far as connecting the dairy industry with food banks and other food distributors to get you know dairy products into food insecure households to meet them. So I think we're very excited to see that program coming online. And uh, the other piece of the announcement that was notable is the you know further possibility of uh, additional assistance for dairy. I think we'll sort of see what that looks like over the coming weeks as things get fleshed out. But I think, uh, you know, seeing both of those items in there was uh, was very positive. Any ideas uh, what some of those future uses might be? I uh, don't know yet. You know, I think there's obviously, you know, different approaches that could be taken as far as you set up a payment program or product purchases and things like that. But certainly in the purchase space, you know, the dairy donation program will go a long way. You know, USDA is currently doing this broad review of purchase programs, especially of the food box program run by the previous administration. And, you know, we testified at one of the listening sessions they held on Monday and kind of leaned in on the importance of maintaining dairy and whatever that, you know, new program is going to be. We don't know what that will look like yet. Um, and also making sure that the kind of mix of products is a bit more balanced than was done under the food box program. I think as listeners know, you know, the program bought a lot of cheese, but comparatively not a lot of butter, and it caused some challenges in the milk pricing space that were, were of course, not intended, I don't think. So, uh, you know, we're leaning in a little bit on the department to try to avoid uh, anything that would repeat those problems from last year. Yeah, sometimes uh, with these programs, there are unintended consequences, right? Exactly. And, you know, last year, everything was being stood up in a relatively short amount of time because COVID was such an unusual 
circumstance for everybody that it's it's sort of understandable that you know mistakes are going to get made or not everything is going to be you know fully accounted for in the decision making process because you simply don't really know what you're up against in a lot of ways and you know i think we uh you know we we understand that you know obviously though a lot of good was done as far as the purchases that were done and it did a lot to help producer income in many ways, but there were those unintended consequences for many producers. And so, you know, that's what we're trying to, now that we have that sort of template and kind of lessons learned from last year, we want to make sure we can, you know, lean in and make sure that's avoided. We're talking with Paul Bleiberg with the National Milk Producers Federation. Paul, also your thoughts on the House passage of the Farm Workforce Modernization Act moves on to the Senate. Uh, A lot of ag groups are, are supporting it. Uh, Farm Bureau is not. They have some real concerns with it. What are your thoughts as it goes to the Senate? So I think we're very excited that the bill passed the House uh, once again, as it did in late 2019. Uh, you know, our hats off to Dan Newhouse and Bill Walker and many other members for getting it through the House on a bipartisan vote. You don't see a lot of bipartisan activity these days, and this bill did get 30 Republicans, many of them from dairy states, and so we were uh, we were really excited to have that happen. Now, as the bill goes to the Senate, you know, we think it's in, in large part, it's a very good starting point because it embodies the major priorities we have, which is to reform the H-2A program so that dairy can use it, as well as providing that permanent legal status that our current farm workers and their families need, which is very important. As we get into a process in the Senate, we are going to be seeking to build off of this and make some improvements. Um, you know, I don't think we ever viewed the Farm Workforce Modernization Act as a finished product necessarily. I think we viewed it as a really good bipartisan start, which has been really hard to come by in the last 30 years on immigration. But there's always room for improvement, and I think we're hoping the Senate will uh, will be able to build on what we've done, and then hopefully we can get something done in some context this year. What areas would you like to see perhaps changed or improved from the House bill? Well, I think the biggest area for us would be, you know, obviously we're thrilled that the bill gets uh, gets dairy into the H-2A program. Um, you know, it, that that access in the House bill is, is capped, and that cap can increase over time, which is very good. But we, we might just try to seek some additional flexibility there to make sure that we uh, that we know that our workforce needs will be met for the long term. Um. The timing of it comes at a time when we have the border situation the way it is right now, immigration very much in the news right now, a lot of strong feelings on both sides on this. Does that make it harder to get it passed this time, or does it uh, maybe uh, put it on front burner enough that uh, there's real push to get something done? Well, you know, that's a really good question. I, I think, in, you know, in some ways, certainly, if the political temperature you know continues to rise, it, it makes it harder to do anything on immigration. But... I know there have been good conversations in the Senate among Democrats and Republicans this week and last week just trying to figure out, you know, what sort of room is there for common ground in the immigration space at large. I think given the bipartisan vote we had in the House, ag will certainly be in that mix. Another item that will be in that category is probably something on the DACA uh, enrollees, you know, the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program created by the Obama administration. There is a lot of bipartisan interest in doing something uh, to give more enduring legal status to DACA uh, program members. And so I think you could see some discussion around those two items, but absolutely the situation at the border is going to be permeating that whole discussion too. And the big questions will be what can be done there, what can be done around the asylum situation. I don't know the answers to those, but obviously the conversations uh, being had, I think it's very promising that they're happening. But the politics on immigration always do seem to get in the way of anything ultimately getting done. And you know, this time could end up being no different. But for now, I think we're at least starting out with optimism, given the House vote and given the discussions that are going on in the Senate. And given the bipartisan interest that senators have, have uh, noted in working on the ag piece in particular.
We shall see. Paul, always good to talk with you. Thanks for the update. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Paul Blyberg, Senior Vice President, Government Relations for the National Milk Producers Federation. So dairy was included in this uh, latest announcement from USDA on CFAP assistance. So was the biofuels industry this time. Got left out before, but is included this time. We'll talk about that later with Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. But up next, we're going to talk some markets with Steve Nicholson with Rabo AgriFinance. We look ahead to next week's stocks report, planning intentions report, and some other key issues impacting the markets. That's next. Stay with us. You're listening to AOA. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. I've been farming my whole life. I don't need somebody to come out here and state the obvious. I don't need anybody to explain my farm to me. My local co-op works with CHS, and they know what I need when I need it. A global network of support. Local expertise. And valuable market options. We need a co-op that's here for us. So we can own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Each and every day, DTN and Progressive Farmer editors are posting unique, original content to their website at DTNPF.com, bringing you the latest news and information you need for your day-to-day business decisions. Their award-winning newsroom covers markets, news, and weather, while also providing insights on crops, cattle, equipment technology, and more. You'll find innovative topics like, would you plant soybeans in December? Experiments look at the possibility of boosting yields with early planting. Want to save time? Learn how through autonomous machinery systems. Will there be a surge in feed prices in 2021? And what's today's weather forecast for my farm? The editors of DTN and Progressive Farmer are committed to delivering the essential intelligence farmers need every day to help your farm business be more efficient and profitable. Visit DTNPF.com today. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. 
public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ed Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. And we're joined now by Grain and Oil Seeds Analyst for Robble Agrofinance, Steve Nicholson. So, Steve, how would you like to have that conversation where you're the captain of a ship and you have to call in and say, um, I'm in the Suez Canal and uh, I'm stuck. I got <laughs> I got this thing crossways in here and I can't get out. Can, that would have been an interesting conversation, I think. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, that would not have been the phone call I would want to make. I don't I, – I have to – have to chuckle i've seen the pictures and i mean you, we've all seen the pictures of you know catty one person in the canal but you know a little backhoe and a bulldozer out there at the hull of the ship trying to move it i'm thinking i don't think that's enough power to do it and I, it's just it's Big. almost comical to watch and cry at the same time um it it is really going to mess things up for a while and there's no question about that you know it's even if you would get it out today, you still got all this all this shipping backed up in the canal that's got to get through, and that's going to take time to, to sort out. So I, I think that it just drives the bad news from a from a freight perspective. It just drives freight rates up more because people can't get the ships that they want when they want them because either they're backed up in the canal or they're not there. Um, on top of that, it just you know when you look from an agricultural perspective, you know it it the good news is not. All agricultural stuff goes through the Suez Canal, so that that's helpful. Uh, but it does drive freight rates up, which will drive basis levels. You know, put pressure on basis levels. The downside because you know the freight's got to go someplace. So it's, it's it's just a bad situation all the way around. And let's look at oil uh, because that has so much to do with so many economic factors and impacts us yep. all. Uh, we've seen gas prices certainly going up at the pump. What's your assessment of what's going on with the oil industry? Yeah, there's a lot going on there. We've we've had several discussions about that, and you know, impacts on it, impacts across the economy. You know, I think that you know you've got a, a confluence of things happening on the oil side that really are you know a little bit troublesome in the sense of what's you know for for both agriculture and for consumers. So you've got OPEC, which is standing pat, um, you know, continuing to constrict supplies. You have China, which is the economy is coming back faster than anybody else in the world, and so their demand is going up, and so that, you know, that also adds to the support to prices. You have, you know, the Biden administration coming in and stopping fracking and and sort of rattling the chain, you know, rattling the, the cages that, you know, that's not going to go forward or grow anymore, and so you worry a little bit about what is, you know, what is our ability here to both pump more oil. Um, out of the United States and and explore, um, it probably looks like that could be you know diminished. So you're all of a sudden you're contracting all these prices, all you know these all these supply um, pipes are all getting contracted at the same time, and so you're seeing that boost in in prices, you know, both whether it's oil or whether it's um, you know at the gas pump for consumers. I think the thing that worries me. That it, I'll just anecdotally, I was this was last week. I was driving past my local gas station. I always stop at it, and kind of the price. You know, I don't fill it very often these days, but I was noticing how high that price and sort of jolted me to think about the impact upon agriculture, and particularly when I think about you know 
the grocery store and, and meat sales, you know, if, if the consumer, and we'll just put it that way, is, you know, stuff's open up, the consumer's, you know, wanting to get out, uh, wanting to go back, you know, getting back to work, um, spending money, going to restaurants, shopping, all those sorts of things, you know, a higher gas price is going to take some dollars out of their pocketbook just at a time when stuff is starting to open up. And, and one of the things we do know about, you know, gasoline prices, if, you know, for every dollar that you end up, you know, putting into your tank, uh, that comes out of your food budget typically. So that means, you know, more less traffic into restaurants at just at a time when they are looking for it. You know, you don't, you're not buying that ribeye at the store. You may be buying ground beef now. So it does have a lot of ramifications and impacts, and it will be very interesting to see, you know, where that goes as we go forward. And But when you're constricting supply at a time when the when economies of the world are opening back up, we hope and we'll be, we'll be optimistic, that's, that's a constraint you don't want to see. Talking with Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. Steve, we're also seeing uh, overall ag input costs going up. Yeah, it, and this is this is a legacy of COVID. I, I think when I when I I listen, I'm not a farm inputs analyst, so I'll say that up front. And so when I listen to my colleague um, who who follows that, you know, day day ever day after day, you know, it this is sort of a uh, this is a legacy of COVID when you had plants and we depend upon, particularly when you look at P and K, you know, we depend on a lot of that coming from overseas, whether it's manufacturing or being shipped from overseas. And, you know, those plants, back, you know, a year ago, you know, shut down or were, you know, restricted, you know, from the supply side. Um, and so they weren't making, you know, they weren't making product. And so that's, that's coming back to haunt us now. And we're seeing this, you know, sort of this hockey stick of, you know, pickup in in um, in prices you know nitrogen is somewhat the same way although there's more nitrogen produced here in the states um, but it's you know you're also coming again at a time of a big demand in agriculture uh, that we need you know NP and K this time of year now the good news I think for many farmers not all farmers you know we got a lot of field work done last fall and so we come into this year probably likely easier or better to kind of weather this storm because we got so much work done last fall and so the impact on our you know our bottom line or our cost our cost side of the ledger is a little bit muted because we got so much done last fall we do in talking to him you know once we logistical issues get taken care of manufacturing issues taken care of we do think that as we get kind of through the spring and, and later in the year that we input costs you know particularly on the NP and K side will start to come down a little bit but we've had this discussion internally, and we've been talking about this with our clients, is that looking ahead to 22-23, as we all know, and I guess we're, I'm drawing back on experiences of the mid-2000s, we know that as when commodity prices go up, input, input prices follow. And so our concern is when we look forward to 22 and 23, is that marginals get to squeeze because even even though commodity prices may continue to be strong, and we expect that, input costs will come up and squeeze those margins, you know, when, on the input side. And finally, next week we get stocks numbers, we get planning intentions numbers. Yep. Do you expect a big um, market moving report? Do you expect a big reaction next week? You know, I do, and I'm not, you know, I and I'm not a betting guy, and I probably wouldn't bet one way or the other, but I do expect there'll be some surprises. I, I kind of put it, I do, I put that report, the March perspective planning with the January number, the, you know, the, the June acres number and the first crop production, but those are the four big reports a year. 
that always are market movers. And the thing about it is there's always a surprise there, and it's not the surprise you're looking for. You know, I we've been uh, pretty consistent across on our 10-year baseline. We're about 92 million acres on corn, uh, just a shade over 90 million acres on um on beans, and so you know we're looking for pretty big numbers for both. It would be record planting of those two crops in the United States this year. But I will tell you what's, what's interesting to me, and I and I think our our baseline in the end will probably be right. But when I think about prospective planting, we always get some numbers that are kind of you kind of look uh, askance at and go, "Wow, how do we get there?" And when you look at the corn to soybean ratio, and granted, it's a it's a blunt instrument, but you look at it, I went back and looked at it for new crop all the way back to August. It, it has hovered around 2.6 for that almost that whole period of time. And while the economics push you to soybeans because they're the best returners, you look at that number and go, it, does, it pushes you towards soybeans, but it doesn't give you that big push. And so I kind of wonder, do we get a bit of a surprise on, on Wednesday with bigger corn numbers than maybe we think we're going to get, and maybe a soybean number that's a little bit smaller than we think? And, and if that number on soybeans is much smaller, I think, than 89 or 90, I think you could see a big tick, a big uptick in, in soybeans. So I, it's a really interesting report. The other thing is to watch wheat acres, spring wheat acres, watch cotton acres, watch sorghum or milo acres, because all these crops are looking for for acres because the prices are high. So we don't know but what you're saying, and I've heard others say potentially the report next week <laughs> could be could be bullish beans, yeah. bearish corn. Um, if if that corn number is real high, and if that soybean yeah, number is lower that, than expected. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that you know if that corn number is 94 or above, I do think that's mm-hmm. bearish. If we get below, I'm going to put 88 million acres on on beans if it's below that then that's bullish beans for sure there's this to me is one of the and i you and i have talked about this for years i think this number on this march planet is always one of the toughest numbers to predict because it's just it's impacted by so many things and the fact is also when you get you know mother nature is going to tell us exactly how many acres are going to plant because it depends on the weather and that's this is a tough number and can be a little bit misleading but boy it can be really can be a really market maker for sure but the underlying fact is we have tight stocks, so that uh, kind of offsets a lot of everything. But we'll, we'll see how the reaction is next week. We'll talk, get your thoughts then, okay? Thanks, Steve. Yep, that'd be great, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Have uh, a good one. It'll be interesting next week with that uh, report. Steve Nicholson with Robo AgriFinance. Up next, we talk with the CEO of the National Biodiesel Board here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. 
It's Agriculture Week, and FS salutes farmers for all they do, providing food and fiber for everyone. Since 1973, the first day of spring, or very close to it, has been designated as Ag Day to demonstrate the importance of agriculture to everyone. FS is proud to serve farmers and other rural residents and businesses, and to inform consumers of the importance of agriculture and the major role it plays in feeding our population and sustaining our economy. Thanks, farmers, from FS. FS, bringing you what's next. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture for the American Ag Network. I'm Kirsten Rawl. There was a lot of action in the crop markets on Thursday, but when the dust settled, corn, beans, and even meal and oil were being drawn like a magnet towards the Green Line 20-day moving average. Traders are temporarily comfortable with the balance between supply and demand. It is possible that the USDA will give us numbers next week that will change people's ideas about the balance between supply and demand, but a large component of the world grain and oilseed supply is in the U.S. crop and we are just getting started with planting. The grain and oilseed sector is trading a bit mixed here on this Friday. The May corn contract trading two cents higher at 5.48 and a half cent. The July contract up two cents at 5.34 and a half cent. For soybeans, the May contract trading a penny and a fraction lower at 14.13 and a fraction. The July contract down three quarters at 14.03 and three quarters. For wheats, the Chicago wheat May contract trading two cents lower at 6.10 and a half cent. Kansas City wheat May down a half a cent at 5.66 and a fraction. Minneapolis spring wheat may down a penny and a half cent at 616. The July contract down a penny and a half cent at 625 and a half cent. The livestock complex continues to exhibit strength. Strong demand and continued higher cash is keeping the path of least resistance. The bullish hogs and pigs report should continue to support the strong uptrend in futures. Looking at lean hog futures on the board of trade, the April contract trading $1.12 higher at 102.80. The May contract up $2.12 at 101.95. For feeder cattle, the April contract up 35 at 144.57, May up 27 at 149.50. April live cattle trading 55 cents higher at 120.10, the June contract up 52 cents at 121.60. In the outside markets, the Dow is up 174 points, the Nasdaq composite up 57, the S&P 500 up 21. You're listening to Adams on Agriculture. The Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council present the story of Cynthia and Ed. My mother was always very active and independent, and she was familiar with her neighborhood. But one day, out of the blue, she stopped at the stop sign for much longer than usual. And uh, she didn't know whether she should go forward or, or turn or just stay at the stop sign. She wasn't even really sure where she was at. She was very concerned. It was very unsettling for her. It's important for you to talk to someone about it, to bring the family in on it. I felt so much better after my son told me, Mom, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. I'll be there for you and we'll figure it out. When something feels different, it could be Alzheimer's. Now is the time to talk. Visit alz.org slash ourstories to learn more. A message from the Alzheimer's Association and the Ad Council. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cinex Premium Diesel. Cinex Premium Diesel, a more complete additive package for a more complete burn. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. 
Well, after a very challenging 2020, the biofuels industry has been getting some encouraging words from both USDA and EPA. And here to talk about it, Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Donnell, good to talk with you. Let's start with uh, words from USDA, and that is some CFAP assistance finally coming to the biofuels industry. Well, that's great news, uh, Mike, and thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great news for the industry uh, at large. It's just something that we need a little bit of help and some recovery, and uh, as many industries have. And so to see that opened up to biofuels has been a great thing. Do we have any details on that assistance yet? You know, I don't know uh, many of the details. We've just kind of heard the announcement. We're just now gathering kind of how and when and where. Um, and so I think we'll just have to uh, stay in touch and, and see see where things come out on all that. The other encouraging news has come from the new EPA administrator, Michael Regan, who basically acknowledged that uh, agriculture and biofuels uh, has a big part to play in this push towards uh, climate policy and climate programs. Well, Mike, that uh, that news made my week. You know, we've been we've been waiting for a long time now to find an EPA that was really recognizing the role that biofuels and biodiesel can play in in uh, cleaning the environment, which is what the EPA, you know, should all be about, of course. And so to hear uh, the administrator speak about that was very uh, reassuring for us, and I think we're uh, excited to have an opportunity to further explore where he thinks we can be, and for us to share where we know we can be and what kind of contributions we can make. So those are two optimistic uh, news items. Uh, I I think back, though, we came into 2020 thinking that was going to be, we were optimistic about a big year there, and then we saw how things kind of went. But uh, hopefully this is kind of a turnaround for the biofuels industry, biodiesel in particular. This could really open the door for your industry, couldn't it? Well, it can. The the RFS was put into place to really spur the growth of the industry and to spur uh, the use and and production and use of renewable fuels. And so it's kind of been on again, off again, as far as the support from administration to administration to administration. So to hopefully have a clear path forward for the next several years with the RFS is going to be uh, send those strong signals. And for industries that are still trying to grow and, and uh, get their feet underneath them, strong signals are exactly what is in order. Where are you as an industry right now coming off of 2020? Well, Mike, you know, we the biodiesel and the renewable diesel industry actually remained very strong in 2020. Um, we saw a couple hundred million gallons of growth in 2020, believe it or not. And so um, it's been a devastating year in a lot of different ways for a lot of different companies. So I'm not here to suggest it's all uh, roses, but uh, we've we've made it through it. And uh, as normal for us, we're, we're, we're always stepping up to challenges. So that was just one more of those. And, and uh, we're looking forward to having things a little more back to normal. So where, what areas specifically do you see real opportunities for growth this year? Well, we're seeing the markets emerging. Uh, one in particular to pay attention to is uh, our heating oil partners in the Northeast. You know, they are going through the stages of transforming their industry from delivering a petroleum-based oil for heating purposes to several million homes up and down the Northeast. They're transforming their product uh, ultimately to be a 100% biodiesel product. By 2050 is what that industry goal is. They need to do that in order to bring cleaner fuels and cleaner energy to 
the homes and to the uh, businesses up and down the East Coast. Regulators, policymakers are wanting to see that, and if that industry doesn't embrace that, which they have, if they weren't to embrace that, you know, they would be challenged, uh, uh, maybe possibly even being pushed out of business. So it's a great market. There's about 4 billion gallons a year of heating oil that's distributed to homes up and down the East Coast, and so uh, we're, we're partnering very strongly with them and working legislatively as well to make sure that there's policies in place in those states to support that transformation. Talk to you with Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Donnell, I remember the last time you spoke in person at your national conference. Uh, this year, of course, it was a virtual conference. But the last time you were in person, you laid out some pretty ambitious goals uh, for the industry. Uh, obviously, COVID was a setback. But now, are you sticking to those goals? Or uh, where are you right now as you look ahead for this industry? Yeah, Mike, you're talking about the vision that we we launched back in, in 2019, and um, that that goal was to uh, push our industry from a 3 billion gallon industry a year to a 6 billion gallon industry in the next 10 years. So by 2030 to be a 6 billion gallon industry, um, we are very bullish about that. As I mentioned earlier, we've got some markets that are growing and emerging. Our California market is growing exponentially for us as well as the low carbon fuel standard out there is really ramping up. And so uh, we, there's nothing to tell us right now that uh, we can't certainly meet that goal. And, and maybe, maybe we're going to meet that uh, well before 2030. The push for new climate programs and policies, we know it's coming, they're already being worked on. I think there's been some concerns, questions in, in agriculture, still are about where agricultural will be in this and do they get the, you know, Will the opportunities be there? And if so, how will they take advantage? Can they take advantage of those? And will agriculture get credit for what it has been doing, what it is doing? Uh, I would think of uh, all the areas of agriculture, especially on the fuel side, biodiesel may be best positioned to really um, benefit from uh, these policies and new programs. And because you, you, you have quite a story to tell of how you're doing already what they're trying to achieve. We do, and I think California, as I mentioned, is, is a classic example. I mean, it's a state that a dozen years ago wanted to try to move to, uh, you know, a, a nearly a zero carbon you know, from a transportation fuel standpoint, and they did not envision biodiesel uh, being a role in that. They thought it might play a role for a while, but ultimately, you know, electrification is where things were going. They didn't want anybody to get in their way. You fast forward to now, 10 years into the program, and biodiesel and renewable diesel are generating 45% of the credits in that program. So it didn't take them long to realize the reality of a transformation to full-on electrification was going to be a long haul. And in the meantime, what could be done now and what could be done today? And that's our message. You know, We are better, cleaner, and we're here now. So for regulators and policymakers that want to see decarbonization, we can literally help you decarbonize tomorrow. No need to invest. There's not a bunch of infrastructure. We don't need to build anything out. We're already there. It's just a matter of, of uh, transitioning to biodiesel and renewable diesel. Mm -hmm. Now, there's still challenges, and we wait to see what happens with this Supreme Court uh, case and wait to see what the next step is. I believe April 27th, and that's on the RFS and the small refinery exemptions. 
Well, Mike, you know, we've been ta- you and I have talked about small refinery exemptions for a number of years, and it's just it's really gotten in the way of the EPA being able to make progress with the RFS as as they should. And so we really need once and for all for that issue to be resolved because the uncertainty that small refinery exemptions create, not only in the biodiesel and renewable diesel space, but in the ethanol space as well is is devastating it's kind of like a start and a stop and so uh, those signals that need to be clear and strong those small refinery exemptions pull those signals back and so creates a lot a lot of uncertainty and so we just need to resolve that that question once and for all and obviously you know the tenth circuit court's decision that uh, was pretty strong in our favor uh, we believe strongly they've made the right decision do you anticipate more plant openings coming this year or we've talked so much about plants closing down what about them opening up well i do i think you know for us to get from three billion gallons to six billion gallons there's going to need to be some added production uh, we're still not producing at 100 percent capacity now but uh, we're we're well over 50 percent so i do believe we'll see some uh some plants coming online whether it be this year or next year or the year after uh, I think one of the spaces to watch is the renewable diesel space. I think we'll see uh, some. Uh, there's already been announcements about plants being uh, being planned for uh, renewable diesel, and so from a farming standpoint, from a soybean standpoint, that's a wonderful thing as well. Renewable diesel uses exactly the same feedstocks as biodiesel does. So um, we'll let the marketplace figure out what that right mix of biodiesel and renewable diesel is, and uh, we're, we're looking forward to that growth uh, coming up. With this new optimism and working with this new EPA, perhaps whenever we get RVO levels announced, maybe they'll start uh, increasing those levels for biodiesel. Well, that's that's what we believe they should be doing. Um, you know, it's it's been a number of years since we've had any RVO for biodiesel that's even challenged our industry, meaning, you know, that where they set a number that was high enough that we, we had to really dig down deep to meet it. In other words, we're able to easily meet these goals that the EPA are setting. So we'll look forward to an opportunity to speak with Administrator Regan about that and see if we can't uh, get those numbers up to a point where it really sends a strong signal of growth uh, to our industry. Good to have a upbeat, optimistic uh, discussion again about the biofuels, right? <laughs> You're exactly right. We talked about it a little bit around the office, you know, about how it wasn't that many years ago and, you know, we were trying to beg people to try biodiesel and now we're talking about where is feedstock's going to come from for us to get to six or, you know, 10 billion gallons a year. And so it's a totally different uh, situation than what uh, the industry was up against when it first got started. And we're happy about that. All right, Don, now good to talk with you. Thanks a lot. Yeah, Mike, thank you. Appreciate it. Take care. Donnell Rehagen, CEO of the National Biodiesel Board. Well, another use for soy oil, quite a partnership between the United Soybean Board and Goodyear Tire Company. And we're going to get more information on that and where this is headed. We'll talk with Ed Lammers with United Soybean Board. That's next on AOA. Stay with us. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel. Diesel that doesn't mess around. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. 
Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. Who, <clears throat> me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Sometimes life is wonderful. And sometimes it's not. Cherish the good, but always be prepared for life's challenges. At Private Healthcare, we provide the peace of mind you deserve. With Private Healthcare, you'll get the coverage you want and healthcare you need. If your employer doesn't supply healthcare coverage and you don't qualify for Medicare or Medicaid, you need to give us a call right now. Private Healthcare is private health insurance for ages 65 and under with medical, dental, vision, and even prescription coverage. When life comes at you unexpectedly, you need to be ready and health insurance is your financial safety net. If you're looking for health coverage at the best price and your annual household income is 35,000 or more, give us a call at 800-664-2612. That's 800-664-2612. 800-664-2612. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Farmers and operators don't always have to get a new piece of machinery to get state-of-the-art performance. At Intelligent Ag, our company was founded by farmers and innovators to build smart farming technology to help you get the most out of your ag equipment, meaning improved performance and high return on investment. The next time you think you need an upgrade on your equipment, consider Intelligent Ag Upgrades. We offer flow monitoring and section control solutions on air seeders and fertilizer floaters. Visit IntelligentAg.com to learn more. A cold front can slow the world to a crawl, but with Cenex Premium Diesel, your fleet can power through. Cenex Roadmaster XL Seasonally Enhanced comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn, optimizing cold weather performance over typical number two diesel. So rather than complaining about the cold, own it with Cenex Premium Diesel. Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Recently on Adams on Agriculture, we're happy to have with us the president of the Texas Farm Bureau, Russell Baining. Let's now talk about this huge issue of migrants crossing the border. Give us an update on the situation, what it's like there, its impact on Texas, Texas agriculture, how farmers and ranchers are dealing with it. The bulk of the issue is down in the valley area. You get down in that area and that's really where it's been. And I guess Talking to some folks down there, whenever you have a surge like that, you have issues like your federal officials, federal inspectors, you know, border patrol folks that do immigration control, but they do inspections 
on truck traffic. Whenever those folks get taxed uh, to a great extent to what they can get done, well, then they're pulled away from something like truck inspections. So most of your listeners know there's a lot of truck traffic that goes through that area, a lot of ag produce. For the information important to rural America, join us on Adams on Agriculture. Progressive Farmer knows you need content delivered on multiple platforms, so it's available when you want it. That's why we've created our weekly podcast, Field Posts, to bring you convenient and easy-to-listen-to interviews on key topics and trends. Join me, Sarah Mock, as I interview some of agriculture's best thoughts. You'll have a front-row seat to learn what's happening in agriculture today. You can view our library of podcasts and upcoming topics by going to dtnpf.com backslash field posts. Adams on Agriculture brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel. With Cenex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Information America's farmers and ranchers need to know. Adams on Agriculture. Now, back to Mike Adams. Oh, quite a partnership, uh, collaboration between the Soybean Checkoff and Goodyear Tire. Here to tell us more about it is United Soybean Farmer Leader Ed Lammers, who serves as the Oil Target Area Coordinator for the United Soybean Board. Ed, good to talk with you. Tell us about this uh, working relationship, this partnership between the Soybean Checkoff and Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. Yeah, Goodyear and USB uh, became partners in a project uh, in the year 2010. And um, so we've been uh, trying to utilize our soybean oil and some of their products. And their scientists and engineers have come across where uh, it works out very well in some of their all-season tires. So um, they've found many benefits for that soybean oil in their product, even um using less energy to mix the rubber components with our soybean oil. And then also the the product being a sustainable, renewable uh, soybean oil. So it's a great partnership and uh, something we all are very proud of. As you said, it's been going on for a number of years and it is growing stronger. Goodyear increasing its use of soybean oil in 2020 by 73% over 2018. So this would appear to be a very long-term commitment by Goodyear to use soybean oil. Yes, they have um, uh, policies on and in their um, industry uh, long-term goals to completely re- uh, completely eliminate petroleum oil with soybean oil, and their projected year is at 2040. So here at the United Soybean, we're very proud of that and very excited that. You know, industry partners, industrial partners are looking to uh, use soybean oil in many products. Kind of take us back, though, the process to to get into a collaboration with a company like Goodyear. I mean, you have to look at a lot of information and, and you had to make that decision, which obviously is paying off. But this this is an example of, of how what you do at the United Soybean Board uh, to look at these kind of partnerships. Yeah, um, so basically United States or U.S. soybean um, producers pay a checkoff. And then that checkoff, um, the board is kind of responsible to spend that money in, in, in ways that uh, profits the United States soybean producer. And so we ran across this opportunity with uh, Goodyear 
in 2010, like you said, and uh, many others also. But Goodyear has really kind of uh, taken this concept and, and, and brought it to a new level. And uh, a lot of their customers are asking for that uh, renewable, uh, sustainable products. And other industrial uh, companies are uh, also looking at this. You know, I remember years ago, soybean oil was such a drag on the market that helped uh, create the uh, led to the development and creation of uh, biodiesel. And then products like this, uses like this, uh, a lot has changed over the last few years, thanks in large part to investments by the soybean checkoff. Yeah, there's, now there's more than a thousand soil, soy oil-based products, like you've talked about, biodiesel, there's surfactants, lubricants, surface, surface sealants, adhesives, rubber uh, coatings for plastic, or for concrete, concrete coatings, and then plastics also. So um, we're excited. We see a huge potential here for um, soybean oil, and uh, we're excited for the United States. United States soybean producer. When you sit on the United Soybean Board as a farmer leader, I'm sure you are often asked by other farmers, what are what are my checkoff dollars being used for? They want to know about return on investment. And I know that when you sit on that board, ROI is a big part of your decision. No doubt. We do study periodic studies on that and uh, see what our return on investments are. And they've been running right at seven to one. So, and that's um, that's a great milestone, and that helps move our product and and supports our prices, and that way we can be sustainable producers in the long in the long haul. And this is an example here because who would have thought soybean oil would be used to improve flexibility uh, for tires as a uh, and to enhance their grip on road surfaces? I mean, yeah, I would not have just immediately made a connection between soybean oil and uh, better tires. But uh, through the research and the development, here you are. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, it's, like I said, it's exciting. And this is just one one um, product of, um, of our soybean oil. And there's many other out there. And uh, we're really excited that Goodyear um, joined our partnership and, and became this and made this available to the customers. It's a good partnership. How much soybean oil roughly are they buying or or could potentially buy due to this uh, collaboration? Well, that's a good question. And um, I, off the top of my head, I can't answer that. But um, we are just uh, totally excited that they're committed to replacing their petroleum with soybean oil by 2040. Yeah, when you think of the tire market and the potential that is there from a major company like Goodyear, obviously it has a lot of potential. Already you're seeing uh, a lot of use and then uh, the potential for much, much more as obviously Goodyear has made this a long-term commitment. Again, uh, they have um, made the commitment that uh, by the year 2040, you mentioned this earlier, I think it's key, by the year 2040, which is not that far away, uh, they plan to source sustainably produced U.S. soybean oil, phasing out petroleum-derived oils from its products. So a significant uh, partnership here between the United Soybean Board, the Soybean Checkoff, and Goodyear Tire. Ed, thanks a lot. Always interesting to hear about these uh, great success stories. We appreciate it. Thank you, Mike, and uh, call anytime. Thanks, buddy. All right, thanks a lot. Ed Lammers, United Soybean Board Farmer Leader, 
who serves as the oil target area coordinator for the United Soybean Board. With that, we wrap it up for today and for the week. Thank you so much for joining us. Have a safe weekend. Hope you'll be back with us again on Monday, right here on AOA. Cenex Premium Diesel comes with a more complete additive package for a more complete burn to optimize performance in all engines.